Well, this is the last in this uh, series of uh, talks that we've been doing on encounters with the Lord Jesus. And um, if we could just maybe turn up, if you've got a Bible, uh, or click on to, if you've got an iPad or whatever, onto Luke chapter 24. We'll have a quick read of it again, just to refresh our minds. I think it's a story that everybody will have read at some stage in their lives. Um, it's an encounter that I would maybe hesitate to say, but I'll say it anyway. I think it's maybe one of the more important ones uh, of teaching that we can gather from this particular encounter with these two people um, because it took place after the Lord's crucifixion. It took place after his death. So he is in his resurrected body. It's a, a lovely encounter and we, there's lots that we can learn from it. So let's um, just quickly read it together. So it's um, Luke chapter 24 and we'll read from verse 13. I'm reading from the New King James Version, which might be a bit different from the version you've got. Now behold, two of them were travelling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem, and they talked together of all those things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so that they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have? with one another as you walk and are sad. Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem, and have you not known the things which happen there in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word and before God, and all the people, and now the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things had happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. But him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things? and to enter into his glory. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them, now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, 
and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us while we talked with whilst he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. As I say, it's a remarkable story, but I think just to break it down into sizable portions, I would start with maybe a title of The Stirring of the Harp. We start off here with two people, two men maybe, maybe a man and a woman, but two people anyway, one of them a man at least, and um, they've encountered and they've seen the crucifixion. They are disciples of the Lord Jesus. They obviously were well aware of him. They had uh, encountered him at least in part of the previous three years. And they had a great disappointment because they had a feeling, they had a desire, they had a wish that he was somebody who was going to redeem Israel. So their um, perception of this man as somebody who was powerful, he was a, a, a worker of miracles, they believed he was from God, therefore they were looking for him who would lead Israel out of their captivity at that time among, with the, um, over the, the Roman um, Empire that had uh, encompassed them and uh, enslaved them. And of course they're terribly disappointed because they have witnessed his suffering They've witnessed his death, and here they are, and they're walking along the road, and they're discussing these things together. Now, the first thing I would really just sort of want to pick up on here is the very fact that they had their hearts stirred initially. I think, you know, when, we, when dealing with uh, our salvation, we're dealing with understanding our salvation, even if we are unsaved and we are struggling with the concept of a God and the concept of eternal life, the concept of um, our future and the purpose of life. There has to be a stirring of the heart. I don't know whether you've, you've come across people, I'm sure, who are just so apathetic, you can't even converse with them. These guys were deep in conversation. They were motivated to try and work out between them why this had happened, what had happened. Why is it that we don't even seem to have a body anymore? He seems to have disappeared. What's the meaning of it all? All of this thing was something that interested them. So I suppose when if, if you're really looking at outreach and how to approach people, if you get somebody who is not the, the remotely interested, then you've really, <laughs> so I was going to say, you, you're hitting your head against a brick wall. You can effectively hand them a tract and leave them. The Holy Spirit isn't working with somebody like that. Here, 
you've got people who have a stirred heart, they're interested. And the next thing that happens is the Lord approaches them. Now that is something that happens every time. If you've got a stirred heart, the Lord Jesus will always come be drawn and come to you. That happens every time. In my experience, it's always happened. It's a stirred heart maybe you've got to struggle with. The apathy that I'm too busy or I've got so many other things in my life. But if you're interested, if the, the Lord Jesus Christ is important to you, if the purposes of God are something that matter, then the Lord Jesus Christ will draw near to you. What, how do I know that? Because it says in the Bible, I've experienced it in my own life. And the Bible the tr is the truth. The Bible is alive. It's the word of God. So therefore, if you're stirred heart and you want to know something and you don't understand what God's playing at or why he's doing things, then your heart is stirred and if you're genuinely interested, then the Lord Jesus will draw near to you. Now, what did he do when he did that? Now, the, the drawing near can happen in many different ways. It can be purely in your meditation of the Word of God that you just feel the presence of God. You have, as a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit within you. And the Holy Spirit reveals the hidden things of God. How do I know that? Because that Bible tells me. And again, we've experienced it. So we've said time and time again, it's been said from this platform and many others, that if you don't know something, then ask the Lord to draw near to you and to understand. Now what happened here is that you see the way that, that the Lord Jesus worked here. It says of these two men, or call them two men, we don't want to argue about that, that, they are, that the, the Lord was hidden from them. Now, I'm not exactly sure how that was, whether the form that the Lord Jesus took was not the same form he had before his crucifixion. That's one possibility. Another was, of course, just that they were blinded. They were not expecting uh, to see uh, a dead person alive again. Or it was just a, a miracle. The Lord can do anything. The God of heaven, he just, he blinded them. He didn't, they didn't see him as Jesus of Nazareth. <coughs> what was the purpose of that? I think in, in thinking about it, that the purpose of that was to Give them an ability to see with their heart. If he had appeared to them and they immediately recognised him, how would they have reacted? They would have been all over him and they would have been asking loads of questions about, uh, you know, how did this happen? You know, what, what was it like on the cross? Did, did you really suffer? Are you okay? And uh, can we help? You can imagine what it would be like. Also, it's a preparation here for 
the thousands of years that are going to take place afterwards, where people like you and I are going to have to get to know the Lord Jesus without seeing him. So what the Lord Jesus was doing here, I believe, was he was setting this scene where he was going to reveal himself, not in sight, not physically. He was going to reveal himself through the word of God. And so he, their eyes were hidden. <clears throat> they couldn't, they didn't understand or appreciate who he was. And he approached them in a way of questions. He questioned them and he inquired. By questioning them, he was finding out how much knowledge they had, what understanding they had. And so his questions were obviously not for his own benefit. His questions are to tease out of them, to tell him what they think about Christ. That's a very important thing in our lives. I always remember that as a boy growing up, my father was an evangelist and he used, for a period of time, used to drive what was known as the Scottish um, gospel van. And uh, it used to be parked in our driveway. And it had big words across the, what think ye of Christ? in ye old English. What do you think of Christ? And I th thought it's, it was such a pertinent question that should be put on a, a gospel van as it drove around Scotland because immediately people look at that, what do you think of Christ? As a, a question that should be put to everybody and even for us as Christians because your answer to that is going to really determine how you conduct your lives. What do you think of Christ? And this is what the Lord Jesus was saying here, you know, is, was inquiring. You know, what's been going on over there? What, why are you so sad? What's the problem? <laughs> and they came up with the answer. So, well, we don't understand why you don't know. Everybody seems to know. Um, that this man, there was a man, Jesus, was here. And uh, his name was Jesus of Nazareth, comes from Nazareth. So that was the first thing that they picked up. It was Jesus of Nazareth. He was a man. He was a prophet. So he spoke things of prophecy. He spoke things that were of interest. The third thing was he was powerful in word and deed. So they recognised they'd heard him. And what he said was said with a power. It was said with a, something that affected them. It was said that he also acted in a way that was powerful. Now that would have been in his miracles, but also in the way that we can only imagine the, the master of, um, of, of conversation, the master of uh, orator, the great orator Christ that could draw thousands to himself. 
Now we do know from our other encounters that the Lord had that the Lord Jesus drew many to him and many of them were coming for different reasons. They were coming because they were ill and they wanted healing or they had friends that were ill or they were coming because they had nothing better to do and they happened to be passing or they were coming because they wanted to see the next miracle and uh, they wanted to know be on the scene and then there would be the genuine ones I say genuine they're all genuine but there would be those that would come because they wanted to listen to what this man said because what he said had a power and it affected their hearts and they were getting stirred by it obviously it, we also read that there were times when those that heard these things disagreed with them and they went away they fell away those that had <coughs> their friends and family or themselves healed would go away quite happy but wouldn't necessarily follow him again because he didn't need him again there would be different reasons like that <coughs> and the lord jesus if you remember he said he turned to his disciples one day and he said, look, they're all, a lot of them are all going away. Will you go away as well? And Peter answered, well, where will we go? You have the words of eternal life. To Peter, the true disciple, and like all of the true disciples, that was what mattered. You have the words of eternal life. And so these two men on the road to Emmaus, they saw that he had, uh, he was powerful in his word. And therefore, they recognised that it wasn't just from the Jesus of Nazareth speaking. He, that power comes from somewhere else. Now either it's coming from heaven, or he who has come from heaven is speaking with the power as the Son of God. He then, they then go on to say, but he was sentenced to death. Which this is really where they struggled. He was crucified. And he was then, his body has gone missing. So these were the things they were grasping with, grappling with. They couldn't understand it. And this is what they were debating. And again, there's no difference really today that when you get into conversation with people about what you think of Christ, is they'll come up with the same things. Well, who is he? Is he really from God? Um, well, if he didn't, he die. And you say, well, if he's dead, what's what, what's the point of following somebody that's dead? But his body's missing. Does that mean he's alive again? Do you believe that? And that's a bit of a head scratcher because, well, that sort of thing doesn't happen, does it? And so these two men were struggling with this and Jesus is teasing this out of them and getting them to reveal their knowledge of what they have and what they understood. And then he responds and he says, you're foolish. <laughs> I don't know, I, you know, I think if I was 
trying to picture that scene. If I was the person that was drawing near to two people talking about the Lord Jesus, and then you say to them, hey, you're foolish. Whether you get a black eye or whether they would tell you to get lost or whatever. Again, this is maybe something that gets lost in the interpretation. We've got to accept we're talking about the Son of God here, who knew exactly the minds and the hearts of the two people he was talking to. And when he would say it, I'm sure he would say it in a gentle way, in a loving way, in a way that would cause them to stop and listen. He says, oh foolish men, and slow of heart to believe. That is, he says, you ought to know. These were people who were steeped in Israel's history. They were steeped in the teaching of the Old Testament. And so Jesus knew that. And he's talking to people who have studied the Old Testament, which was the the word of God then. That's all they had. And he's saying to them, you're foolish because you've read all that or you've heard of the teaching of the Old Testament and you don't understand. That's exactly like us today. We have the scriptures and we have the fortunate position of being living in a time when we are educated and we are able to at will pick up the Bible and read it almost whenever we want. If we want to, we can create the time. Uh, if we were, if our hearts were stirred, we would be reading it and reading it. And as far as understanding it's concerned, then, as been said, we have the Holy Spirit within us. Therefore, when we come to the bits that we don't understand, if we really want to know, could we not find out? Or do we not believe that the Holy Spirit can reveal these things to us? It might take, in some cases, a long time for certain issues. But is our heart stirred enough to want to do it at all? It then goes on to say that um, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. In the, the beginning of the book of John, it says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst men. Who is I talking about? It's a, the Word of God became flesh. And here you're reading that when the Lord Jesus Christ talked to these two men on the road to Emmaus, he was talking about himself in the scriptures. So starting with Moses, he was showing them himself as he was going through the scriptures. Now I don't believe that the Lord Jesus had a big scroll under his arm and he was doing this. (laughs) He he had it all up there. He, He was the word of God. So he didn't need 
a big fat scroll. And he would be he would be recounting scripture. He would be uh, referring to different parts, starting at Moses and going through. And these two would have known them because I believe they were well versed and understood the scriptures. They'd heard it before, but they'd never had it explained that in scripture is Christ. The scripture is Christ. And the understanding of that, that this is alive, and that this is something that was powerful. And as he spoke to them, he was talking about himself, and they didn't know who he was, but their hearts were burning. And as he began from Moses, and he would go through the, the children of Israel, going through the wilderness, and he would be pointing out himself. Do you remember the time when he struck the rock? That was me. Well, he wouldn't say me. That was Christ. And do you remember the water came out? Do you remember that rock that Moses was hid in? That was Christ. Do you remember that rock that Moses was supposed to speak to and he hit it twice? That was, that was Christ. And he would go on and he would go through all the revelations of the prophets and the, the Psalms, uh, David, the prophetic Psalms the messianic psalms that David had, rev had revealed to him and he would be pointing out, that was me. You see, when David wrote that psalm about the sufferings, that was, that was about Christ. And that's what you've just seen. Imagine just being taught that for two hours, walking the seven, hour, seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and there the Lord, they don't know it's the Lord, and they're listening as he went through all the prophets and kept referring to Christ in each one. Until they got to their house. And by this time, they are absolutely enthralled. Because what they have been listening to is all about Christ. And what they've been having is a heart that stirred. A heart that was moved. And a heart that was ready to act. And by revealing Christ, they are seeing in their heart that this was all meant and that they're beginning to start clicking in their head that what they had seen in the at Calvary, the sufferings of Christ, what they had been puzzling over as to why this had happened was beginning to click because the Old Testament had prophesied it and they were telling about Christ and they were coming up to the pit about the, the where's the body? And that was prophesied that he would rise again. And it's all beginning to click until he gets to the point where they come to the house and he goes as if he would move, carry on. A ploy, because maybe this is just to see now, where are you? Are you willing to let me keep going? You want to drop it there? But no, they were ready for him to come and spend the night because we want to hear more of this. This 
was the result of the stirring of the harp that they wanted to hear more. We often think about the difficulties that we have in our life in 2018 with the, the things of this world that encroach, the things that take up our time, the things that's so easy to divert us. We were thinking about that yesterday, about the, the era of the social media. It, it, one of the things that Satan is, is, is great at, and I can remember this uh, standing up here as an old man, <laughs> uh, but when television was being discussed when I was a kid, and they were saying, it's a waste of time. You know, if you have a television in your house, what's going to happen? Is that you're going to sit there and you're going to ogle everything that comes up and it's going to stop you from getting into the Word of God. And of course, the teaching at the time in the 1950s and 60s, you don't have a television. You'll rue it. So here we are, and we've all got televisions. And I'm sure there's not one of us that would admit it's a time waster. Because we sit there and we watch rubbish. And it's not until we've watched it for an hour that we realise we've just wasted an hour. Social media is even more encroaching in our time. And it's Satan's way of ensuring that we don't get our hearts stirred with the powerful word of God or getting into the things of Christ. The two-hour walk is something that we probably wouldn't do unless we were thinking we needed some, some exercise. <clears throat> we jump in the car and put a radio on. Um, <clears throat> Satan's clever. He avoids, takes our minds and hearts away from his things. He came in to their house and it says that he made himself known in the breaking of the bread. Now that is a very interesting thing. We've just um, this morning been involved in what we know as the breaking of the bread. But in scripture you also read that the, the expression breaking bread is also used for just having a meal together. So sometimes it's, uh, you've got to be careful when you, when you read it as to what it's referring to, whether it's referring to the Remembrance Feast on the first day of the week or whether it's talking about just having a meal together. This was clearly not the breaking of the bread. This was just come in and have a meal. Now where this bread came from, I don't know. I don't know whether these two would have bought some on the way, um, whether they would have made some, um, it doesn't really matter. The Lord could have produced it. The bread appears and it says that the Lord Jesus blessed it and then he broke it and then he gave it. And then their eyes were opened. I think these three things are so very significant because, as I said, there he was hidden from them until their hearts were stirred, 
until he had been able to explain that he was in the scriptures, until he had revealed Christ in the scriptures. And then he does this physical act of taking bread and breaking it and giving it to them, and then they understand. I am the bread of life. Would they have known that? I think they would have. That is something that the Lord Jesus revealed when he was there. Maybe they didn't understand what that meant. They would have understood about the manna. They would have understood um, what that meant as the, the bread from heaven and how it sustained the people of Israel of which they were generations down the line were all part of. And here this man is holding bread and he, they would remember surely the words, I am the bread of life, and he breaks it. If they had watched the crucifixion, did that not suddenly click? That what the breaking meant was the dying. The breaking meant that this bread had come from heaven to be broken and given to them and he gave it to them and their eyes are opened and they understand who he is. I think um, their reaction to that, that the Lord Jesus disappears because his purposes had been fulfilled. He had shown them himself in the scriptures. He had shown them in the breaking of the bread that who he was and the purposes of the death, the, the, the suffering and the death and the resurrection and their need for that bread, for that bread to come from him. I mentioned it in a thanksgiving this morning about the need for the spiritual bread to be eaten. And I believe that's what Jesus was teaching there as he was giving the physical bread. He's teaching them, remember I've just explained in the scriptures, I am the bread of life. And you need to eat me. And this is the teaching, of course, that we who want to be followers of the Lord Jesus, who want to have our hearts stirred, who want to be disciples of him and to be used by him have had in this encounter seen the perfect teaching from the Lord Jesus Christ. The remarkable thing also is, and we've said this in maybe other encounters, and I think it, maybe Steve mentioned it last week, I can't quite remember, but um, when any encounters that the Lord had with these disciples uh, after his resurrection, uh, to me are amazing because he's sending the signals that I'm not going to go back to my father. I'm not going into my glory in heaven. I'm not going to go back to these myriads of angels who are waiting to greet me. I've got something important that I need to do first. 
and this was one of them. And that puts it in a level of importance that's way up there. That he delayed going back to the glories of heaven because he wanted to have this encounter along with a few others, with Mary Magdalene and others with Peter and other disciples. And they were important. He had to, he, he had to have those because he loved these people and also that they were going to be part of the living word, the scriptures. And so the New Testament was going to be added to the Old Testament. And that was going also to be the living word of God, which is Christ, the word that became flesh. And therefore, that was important to him. And not until he'd done that was he able to stand on the Mount of Olives. And even then, as he's still teaching the things concerning the kingdom, and that's another thing, a level of importance, the kingdom of God that was being taught for 40 days, and he's still teaching it as he starts to ascend. And that's the point when he was finished. He'd done it all then. He said it was finished on the cross, and that was the atoning work at Calvary. The finished work of the teaching and the explaining and the fulfillment of his time on earth was as he gradually ascended at the Mount of Olives, going back into heaven. And it's the picture you get is of the Lord speaking as he ascends. Just a few thoughts there just to leave you with. Um, I'm sure there's other, there's other things. I mean, it's such a, a beautiful encounter. Um, there's a lot you can also glean from it in the way the Lord handled them that I didn't go into in any great depth about the, the perfect teacher uh, being able to draw near, to be able to draw out, to be able to teach and to be able to make a heart burn is the perfect teacher and there's so much we can learn from Christ in that shall we pray